Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Good morning. It is great to see you all. And Merry Christmas. Yeah? That's what we're doing this time of year, right? All righty. Well, I pray that our time together this morning would be an encouragement to your hearts and to your lives. And I pray that just you would be built up in your faith as we look at God's word together this morning. With that in mind, take out your Bibles if you have them with you. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Uh, We're in chapter one as we continue our series on this season of joy. And as you're turning uh, or finding Luke chapter one in your Bibles, let me ask you a question. Have you guys heard the term or are familiar with the, the idea of Christmas creep? It's not a new term. It's not an un yeah, Christmas creep. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a noun. It's, a, it's kind of a descriptor. Um, there's no Christmas creep running. Unless you watch the Grinch, I guess he would qualify. But the idea of Christmas creep is that the, the stores that are, that are out there trying to sell Christmas stuff, each year, earlier and earlier, they start setting the displays out to kind of build anticipation. And I'm sure there's a whole science involved in figuring out what the sweet spot is to maximize profits and capitalize on the, the, the season of Christmas. So it's this idea that, that, that anticipation starts to build as, as the... the marketers get their stuff out earlier and earlier each year. And if I remember correctly, this phenomenon starts to happen about late August, early September is usually about where you start to see. I mean, if you go to uh, Hobby Lobby, they're probably partying in January or something like that. But most of the other stores about late September, uh, or sorry, early September, late August. Um, And it's just this idea of building anticipation. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I love Christmas, and I, I will celebrate those who celebrate Christmas. I love the lights. I love reading the verses with our kids as we're talking about this Advent season. I love the hope that, that comes naturally with talking about Jesus' birth. Um, I love Christmas, the smells, the food, getting together with family, the games, the shouting sometimes. It, I love it all. And I'd even be open to a, like a starting Christmas creep on like December 26. Let's get going on the next year. Let's do this. I love Christmas. Um, and that's kind of where we're at in our story today and what we've been talking about the last few weeks. This season of joy. This was a time of anticipation building. This was a time of looking for God's activity in the world. This was a time when we see in our text, people were getting ready for that first Christmas. And today we're going we're gonna to look at a man named Zechariah. He served as a priest in God's temple. God had promised his people that he was going to send his Messiah. And for thousands of years, his people waited. That's a long period of Christmas creep, a thousand years. 
I could hardly contain myself, but I can't even fathom that number. In fact, not only had they been waiting for thousands of years for God to send his promised Messiah, but he had been silent for around four to five hundred years. He had not spoken through the prophets. He had not spoken to his people. And so that's where, we, that's where our story takes place, is this period of just waiting and anticipation for God to move and work on his people's behalf. So, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and he tells him he would have a son. And this was, this was particularly hard for Zechariah to hear. This is, again, not an unfamiliar story, but Zechariah was, was kind of an older gentleman. And, and his wife, the Bible says, was advanced in years So this announcement of Gabriel may have initially shocked Zachariah's heart, but he questioned it. Like, what? How can this be? He questioned it so much that in fact the angel of the Lord kind of shuts his mouth and says, okay, Zachariah, you just need to stop talking here and let me tell you what God's going to do. You need to listen. In fact, he he couldn't speak until his son John was born. So that's where we come in our text today. That's the the person we're looking at. Last week we looked at Mary and her uh, song of praise that she offered unto the Lord when she heard that she was going to have a baby. Today we look at the life of Zechariah and we see how God's promise to his people begins to be fulfilled in the life of Zechariah and his son John. John was born and God speaks finally after hundreds of years through Zechariah by the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah had been praying for a son and God answered him in a special and unique way. He ordained his son John to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, to prepare the way of the Lord. John was an answer to God's promise through the prophets. So in our text this morning, we're in chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 67. John has been born. Zechariah is able to speak and he proclaims his son's name is John. And then we pick up in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us In the house of David, as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, my prayer for us this morning is that we would anchor our lives in knowing and experiencing that true joy in life comes when the deepest longings of our soul, of our heart, of the core of who we are, the deepest longings and and desires are filled 
by the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. The joy that came with John's birth was made, in, was made full in Zechariah's life by God visiting his people to bring salvation. That was the whole purpose and point of John's life was to point to a savior. Zechariah was praying for a child, as I mentioned, and God fulfilled his promise. In our text this morning, we see that God's grace overflows our lives beyond what we can comprehend or understand. John was a miracle for Zachariah and Elizabeth. They should not have had kids. They couldn't understand the idea that God was going to bless them with a son. But God moved, was gracious to them. And as we consider the promise that God fulfilled in his word, through John and through Jesus the Messiah, we're going to look at three activities that God uses to grow true joy in life. So let's go back to our text. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited. So we see the first activity of God here. And we understand that we have true joy in life because God has come. He has visited his people. Zechariah proclaims this is the promise of God that he will come. Let's not move too quickly past this amazing truth. This is one of the great distinctives and one of the exclusive claims of truth for the Christian faith. Every other religious tradition preaches a bottom-up theological worldview. Even those who claim to have no religion preach a bottom-up theological worldview. What do I mean by that? Well, they ask questions. What can man do to reach God? What can man do to achieve nirvana? What can man do to build utopia? What can man do to increase human flourishing? What can man do to ascend to God? Here, Zechariah shatters that notion for us. He echoes the words of the Old Testament prophets who spoke of God's desire to come and dwell among his people. Exodus 25, verse 8, Moses proclaims this. Ezekiel, the prophet in chapter 36, proclaims this. Isaiah, throughout the whole book, but particularly in chapter 7, speaks of God coming to dwell with his people. The coming of Jesus the Messiah is a miraculous event that ushers in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus taught about when he began his ministry. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that kingdom is described for us in Revelation chapter 21, verse three. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So the first activity we see of God in this, our scripture today is that he visits his people. He is present in the lives of his people. This is the great comfort that we learn that Jesus sends through the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 to experience God's dwelling among us. God has not forgotten us. He is not silent. God remembers and he comes to visit his people. And I want to stress, God does not remember like we, he doesn't remember us like we often remember him. God's thoughtfulness, his consideration for us, his patience with us, his compassion on us, his, all his remembrance of us always come with infinite care, with infinite compassion for our situations and hurts and, and struggles. And he comes with nearness, knowing the details of our lives. And, and sadly, this is, this is the exact opposite of how we so often treat God and our remembrance of Him. We often forget the nearness of God and the truth that He is near to us. We often treat Him like a distant, uncaring, absentee father. But Zechariah affirms that what God promised his people through the prophets of old, he has done through the person of Jesus the Messiah. He has come. He is near to us. The birth of John the Baptist in what seemed like impossible circumstances, again, affirm this in Zechariah's heart and mind. God's promises are true. And where 400 Plush-ish. I can't even imagine that. Years of silence may have tempted the Israelites to believe that God had forgotten them. John's birth and Zechariah's prophecy prepared them for a new reality. It prepared them for the Messiah, God, who was Himself coming into the world. He is not distant. He is present in the lives of his people. So going back to that theological worldview that the the world teaches us, we don't have to try and earn our way to God. We don't have to try to build something to reach God. God comes to us. And what is our response to the God of creation coming to dwell with us as Jesus the Messiah? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I like this. We party. We celebrate. That was the proclamation of Zechariah's heart. Blessed be the God of Israel. He is partying. This is a good time, a celebration. Remember that this next week. You have permission to celebrate that God has come, that he dwells with his people. One of the most beautiful things about God is that He 
emptied himself and humbled himself, Philippians tells us. And there is no more a lowly situation we could find ourselves in that Jesus cannot and does not visit us. And this is a great hope, friends. This is a hope for the downcast and broken. He is with you. This is hope for the hurting and lonely. He comforts you. He is with you. This is hope for the widow and orphan. You are not forgotten. God loves you. He came for you. He humbles the proud. He enters into the circumstances of our lives, the good, the bad, the hard, and reminds us that when the world is confusing, when the world is hurling messages of false hope at us, when the world forgets about us and and seemingly discards us, he reminds us of the truth that he has come near and he has overcome the world. What a great hope we have. And this is cause for celebration. We party. I love it. Jesus came for God's glory to demonstrate his love and to give us his peace. It's what the angels herald in Luke chapter 2. I know I'm kind of giving away the next chapter, but I'm sorry. We walk in obedience And experience true joy when the truth of God's coming to us erupts in our hearts in celebration. God has come. But he didn't just pop in. (laughs) Let's look back at our text. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So not only does God visit his people, but he came for a purpose. He had a mission. He had a plan for why he came. This is the second activity we see. So not only does God come, but we understand that we have true joy in life because God came to redeem his people. This is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the gospel. God came and he redeemed. One commentator suggests that God's redemption includes every blessing in it. Justification for our sin. We have been made right because of God's redemption. Forgiveness for our sins. We have been made clean because of Christ. Adoption into his family. We are a part of God's family. Sanctification. He walks with us and grows us and builds us up in our faith. And eternal life. We get to experience the joy of being with God forever. This blessing, this gift, this redemption from God, it is plenteous, it is full, it is complete, it is whole, and it is everlasting, friends. God's good pleasure compelled him to visit and redeem his people. 
So what is redemption? Well, in Romans 6, Paul refers to our lives without Christ as enslaved to sin. We are under its control. We are under its power. But John 8, 36 tells us Jesus has set us free. That's what it means, that freedom that Christ has given us from the bonds of sin and death. Paul goes on to write in Romans 8, 1 and 2, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. Christ has redeemed his people. He has delivered us. And he has done this at great cost to himself. At this time of year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. How he came to us as a baby born among the mess and the straw of a stable in Bethlehem. God sent his son into the world to offer his life as a ransom to set captives free. That's what we are, friends, apart from Christ. Captives to the law of sin and death. But he has set us free. God's glory sets us free to enjoy new and abundant life with him. Jesus is the greatest gift to mankind that we have ever known or could ever known. And how do we respond to such a gift? The gift of God in His Son, Jesus, that's the only way for us to have true life and true joy and meaning in our lives. God's ultimate gift was the person, Jesus. And hear this description from the Apostle Paul, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. He describes what God has done and is doing in the lives of his people and how his people respond. So as I read this passage from 2 Corinthians, keep in mind what God is doing, what God has done, and make note of what his work on our behalf does in our lives. Let me read this for you. And God is able... To make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures. Forever, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we understand the generosity and the love and the grace that God has lavished on us in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
then true joy in our life grows generosity and thanksgiving for others. True joy affects us in a deeper appreciation for what God has done. A greater appreciation for the love He has shown through His Son Jesus. And He grows us up to be charitable and kind to others. Giving thanksgiving to God for what He has done for us. So let me ask. What are you holding on to in life that you perceive as more valuable than God's redemption through Jesus, this gift we've been given? And let me ask it this way. How does being redeemed by Jesus the Messiah move you in your spirit and in your actions? How are you becoming more generous and charitable? And how are you growing in gratefulness to a good and gracious God. So, Zechariah prophesies that, that God has visited his people and we celebrate. This is good news. The promise of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We celebrate his coming. We see that he grows our lives in thanksgiving and generosity because we remember his redemption for our souls, this gift that he has given us to set us free through his son, Jesus. Finally, let's go back to our text one more time. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So this third activity, we have true joy in life because of Jesus' victory over sin and death. So our, our focus turns now to this horn of salvation. What is the horn of salvation? Um, I have no idea. Um, the horn of salvation is symbolic in the Old Testament scriptures of strength and victory it's a, it's a proclamation. And, and we learn here in this, this verse that, that Christ's triumph over sin and death, Christ's triumph in, for our salvation is decisive. That victory that Jesus had is complete. Now, there is some, there's some debate about what the actual horn of salvation was, if it was an actual physical object or if it was like symbolic of the, the, the blast sound of the horn to either begin a battle or to, to proclaim the victory in battle. But what is not unclear about the horn of salvation in, in Scripture is that it's an attention getter. Zechariah uses this term intentionally. I don't know about you guys. My wife and I, we enjoy those home improvement shows, the HDTVs, the fixer-uppers, the other couple that's the fixer-upper light, whatever. I can't remember their names. It's not important. Um, but in those shows, we're constantly, I'm, at least I am, I'm constantly hearing like, oh, that's a statement piece. Like, okay, where's the statement? What, are we make, what statement are we making? I never know. I'm oblivious to that kind of stuff. I enjoy the shows, but I don't know what makes a statement or how you do that. But the idea of a statement piece 
is what we're talking about with the horn of salvation here. Now, this statement piece is usually some kind of piece of furniture or a piece of art or something that really ties the room together. Maybe architecture or something. I don't know. But it is meant to draw your attention in and then we create around it. We build around it. We uh, design things and put little trinkets to emphasize the statement piece. And that's what the horn of salvation is. It is a statement piece with which we must all reckon with. The horn of salvation stands before us as a stark reminder for the great problem of humanity and the great hope of our Savior, Jesus. Pastor Tyler spoke of this problem we have in our call to worship last week. We all know We all see, we all can experience and understand and feel that something is wrong with the world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can say the exact same thing about our hearts. There is an emptiness that just longs to be filled that we can't fill it with. There's always something else we need to fill it. If I can just have this, if I can just build my way up to God. Sin is the problem of the world, and we are powerless to solve it. All the suffering, all the division, all the pain, discomfort, deception, inconsistencies, suffering, all these things, all the problems that we encounter in our world are sourced in the destructive nature of sin against a holy God. And man's ability to gain salvation, our strength to build ourselves up, to right the great wrongs of the world is is actually the ultimate defeater for a bottom-up theological worldview. We haven't figured it out yet. We still haven't filled what is missing. This is the great vanity that the preacher of Ecclesiastes teaches us about. We are incapable of solving this problem of saving ourselves. But God has raised a horn of salvation. John Piper notes in his Advent devotion that we've been using this the, the last few weeks for these sermons, He notes that each action of God in our text that we've talked about today, if you'll notice, and I don't know if you were paying that close of attention, but they're all prophesied and recorded in the past tense. And this is interesting. This tells us something. Here in Zechariah's foretelling of the Messiah, we learn that God's work has been, it is, and it will be assured for all eternity. The work of Jesus is never in doubt. It is complete. His victory is total. And that is what we're talking about. When the horn of salvation is used in the Old Testament, it is always attributed to God's work on behalf of his people. The Father was moved by compassion to display His glory and His great love for the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have ever 
everlasting life. The horn of salvation is a pronouncement of God's reign and rule in his kingdom for all time. And this was the hope that Zechariah proclaimed. This is what the prophets of old proclaimed. This was the promise made to David that he would establish his throne forever. Both men in our story today, Zechariah and his son John, were heralds of this good news. John was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. And we have that same message today. The horn of salvation was a message. It's an attention getter. It's a message to the world. And it was the word of God. The word that became flesh. Jesus, Emmanuel, God, with us. Friends, true joy celebrates that our Savior has come. True joy grows generosity and thanksgiving in the hearts of those who have received the gift of God's redemption. And true joy cannot be contained in silence. We proclaim loudly the victory that we have in Jesus, our horn of salvation. We point others to him. Share the hope for life with those who need to hear this message this Christmas, who need the hope of being set free from the law of sin and death, those who live in guilt and fear and condemnation. What a great hope we have to share this time of year. Let us echo the good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray.